This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 62. This week, we talk with Arun Singh about Windows 10 APIs, compiler errors for humans, and we'll tell you how to get a raise. Today we have Arun Singh. He's a program manager on the app model team at Microsoft, and he says he will buy anything that has an API. Welcome, Arun. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it sounds like you've been a longtime listener of the show as well. I am. I, I can't say I've heard all episodes, but I've heard a few. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people not to listen to the early ones, which probably makes like all of the listeners really curious. They probably go back and listen to the all the first ones and laugh at us. Well, no, but it's fun, though, because there are podcasts I've been with uh, since since the start. And it's nice to see the presenters kind of get into it. Yeah. It's it's nice to see the growth. And I now I'm going to go back and listen to the first ones. No, Sorry. I'm going to go delete them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll renumber the episodes. <laughs> yeah, randomize them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll go add some ads into the early ones, you know, that way that way there's at least something we get out of it. <laughs> and then that other voice is Carl. How's it going, Carl? Pretty good. Okay. Well, let's jump into feedback. So what do we got this week? So this week, uh, we got some uh, response on Twitter from Gary Ewan Park. He said he really enjoyed the recent podcast on uh, hardware software, and uh, there were some really great tips in there, and it was worth a listen. Uh, we really appreciate that feedback, and if you have anything, you could, like Gary, win the Infragistics Ultimate License. All it takes is commenting either on Twitter, Facebook, our website, leave a review in iTunes. We really appreciate that. Yeah, and we, uh, we've been doing this for what? At least five episodes, right? So we've given somewhere between like ten and twenty thousand dollars of the software away just over yeah, the past few weeks. Yeah, it's kind of nuts. Yeah. So just just comment and uh, and you could be a winner. Okay, what do we got for news here? MIT creates system that fixes bugs by importing functionality from other programs without access to source code. So how does this work, Carl? So what it does is it analyzes a program as it's running. So you kind of have to give it um, like a a set input into, you know, as you're using it. And then you use a set input again, a different input that that'll make it crash or fail in some way. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has a way of checking um, the binaries and seeing what the differences are and able to go out and uh, with other uh, programs that it's analyzed to see if any other programs are doing anything similar where it might have a check in there that might prevent that bug. And it can swap out that actual physical memory location to add the feature to prevent that bug from happening again. <laughs> that seems crazy. It's like patching it. I, does it. Does this ever backfire? I would assume it does. It. it I, I'm, I'm sure it does. Well, I, I can't imagine a system where it wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like all things, it, it, it depends on who it's learning from, right? <laughs> right, right. And I, I was wondering, too, when I first read this, I'm like, I wonder if they're doing like DLL swaps. I mean, sometimes there's like different versions of DLLs. What would be kind of neat is if you had a system where, um, you know, there was like a known bug in a, in a specific version of a, of a DLL well, and it could sort of automatically patch that program. I think what they are doing is they're treating uh, open source code as, as a knowledge repository and mm -hmm. saying, oh, you know, you want to generate a Fibonacci number. Well, obviously, the, the anal analysis program doesn't know that it's the code is generating a Fibonacci number, but yeah. it goes out and trolls through these repos and that's where they get the code from. But yeah. they've got this idea of a donor program 
which is kind of interesting and it, the article doesn't say about how they choose the donor programs and that that would be of interest to me yeah it's probably yeah that that that, that would be really interesting and then i don't know if you notice it's called code phage and phage mm. i remember from uh from star trek voyager because there was actually a species called the phage and i thought that that's where they were getting it from but there's actually something called bacteriophage and it's a uh, virus that infects and replicates within bacterium so that uh, i thought was kind of interesting so they're making like a good virus that's, uh, uh, you know, replicating pieces across code. Anyway, any other comments on that before we move on? Nope. Okay. Compiler errors for humans. So Ruin, you, before the show, you mentioned that you, you thought this was like errors, compiler errors <laughs> yes, for like actual yeah. humans. Is, is there a compi- <laughs> In my mind, I'm thinking a compiler that walks to places with me. <laughs> no, you did that wrong, Arun. <laughs> uh, Carl, you have a compiler error right now. <laughs> I generally do. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always wanted an undo button for humans. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or like rewind. Okay, Carl. So what is this for real? Um, so there's a, a project that it's called Elm, and what it what it's doing is instead of just saying you know hey I cannot find variable because you you know re reference something on an object that didn't exist, you know it, it tries to find you know things that would be helpful for you to resolve this um, you know the error that caused it. So um, for example, list did not expose nap. Did you? want to try one of the following and it gives like several options there. Right. Or, right. Or it says, so you know, that's, Hey, that's in that case, it's sort of like spell check. It's saying, Hey, there's these other things, you know, I have seen that before, but I'm going to open up like a huge can of worms here and just complain about errors in general. Cause usually they're terrible. Um, you know, like things like windows update comes to mind where you just get like this random error and then you got to search for it and then you find other people. And it's like, why doesn't this thing, you know, if 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 really there is no plain English description, why doesn't it say like, hey, maybe you should go to this place or, you know, here, here's a link to search for it at the, at the very least. I'm sorry, uh, but, doesn't everybody speak hex? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just it just kills me. And then and then what's funny, too, is whenever you whenever you get like a, a hex code and a message and the message is so cryptic. So you search for the hex code, which leads you to a table that shows you the message. <laughs> Uh, not useful, not useful developers. And I, I guess we're all guilty of this, but I think we should be more conscious of this, but this looks pretty cool. I mean, it seems like, um, error messages are always an afterthought and, and especially whenever you're targeting a developer, you're like, oh, they'll just figure it out. So anything we can do to improve that is, is just, is going to pay back in dividends. So I, I give them a lot of credit for trying to improve this experience. Yeah. And you know, I'm not expecting like, uh, kind of your resharper messages for, you know, build errors. But like you said, you know, being conscientious and thoughtful about, you know, what the error messages are really make a huge difference on, you know, can I resolve what this error is? Can I find it in a timely manner? Yeah. Yeah. I find it really interesting that there's this interest again in how compilers and interpreters work again, Mm because, you know, if you, if you go back a few years, they were almost treated like a closed problem. And now with Clang and LLVM and and with Roslyn on the .NET side, it feels like things are things are starting to open up again. Things are starting to happen again in this area. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot more potential for improving these things. Oh yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yep. Okay, now that we solved that, how do I get a raise, Carl? Um. Yeah. This next <laughs> link is is entitled "The Software Engineer's Guide to Negotiating a Raise," and I kind of like this one because it kind of specifically looked at um you know our profession. And, uh, you know, the things that we can do to uh, leverage uh, 
your skills and 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 the processes to you know more successfully ask for a raise and more successfully negotiate for what's your worth i mean the goal with a lot of these things is to never um you know ask for you know 10 times what you're worth because you think you're the 10x programmer that, that's not the case but there's a lot of times you know we don't like to ask for things like this and when we don't ask like uh, ask for things our managers don't know that we're uncomfortable or that uh, we feel that we're not being uh, compensated fairly yeah and, and and there's a lot of you know just very small subtle uh, you know things that you can look at and to help evaluate you know hey how can I apply this to my situation? Yeah, I think the, you know, what we're all afraid of is you, you go to your boss and you're like, uh, can I please have a raise? And they're like, no. And you're like, oh, OK, <laughs> right. <laughs> or, or or that you do and you you ask for a raise and you're like, oh, was that enough? He said yes, kind of quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and one of the the big problems, I don't know if this article talks about it, is going in and and bringing like your your personal situation into it. Like it has nothing to do with that. I think this is more focused on doing your research, you know, figuring out what what you're actually worth and then, you know, comparing that to what you're making now and and using that approach. And and that makes much more sense. I mean, you can't just go in there and be like, I should get more money because I want more money, even though you're paying me more than anybody else will. And sometimes that is hard to determine, too. So like you said, you know, that research can be kind of tricky. Yeah. The the other the other thing, and I, I don't think it was mentioned in here. The other thing I would recommend is is if you want to be at a certain point or if you want to get a promotion, go to your manager and say, hey, what do I need to do to get here? You know, that way they they can they can outline it for you. You know, what 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 kind of performance do I need or what are the things that, that need to change for this to happen? And, and that way you can sort of check off those things. And then, and then maybe six months or a year later, you go and say, Hey, this is the level that I'm operating at now. Um, let's, you know, let's talk about this again. Yeah. That, that's, I think one of the key manage, uh, key things I expect from my managers as well. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, part of taking care of me is, uh, telling me what I need to do to get to the next level. Right. Yeah. And in my experience at Microsoft has been pretty positive from, from that perspective. Cause, um, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of surveys and things like that. There's a lot of evaluation of managers by employees, mm-hmm. um, around like, is the manager doing the best job for the, for the career of the, the people that are working for them? Um, which, which is, which is really nice because it, it makes them focus on that. Like they should be. Right. I mean, it, it doesn't help that a lot of uh, developers are also, uh, somewhat weak in people skills and and being able mm-hmm. to express themselves outside of code that is <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so yeah <laughs> no, that's a good point okay the company logo api so here you go Arun. here's an api for you yeah i love it <laughs> <laughs> so carl uh, what is this uh, although it is a free api so um i i found this uh company logo api and you can pretty much just give it a, a company and and there's it's a little bit more rich than this, but it'll it'll give you back their images, so their logos. And I I, I just put up a, a quick code pen to do an example. Uh, if you click on that, it'll show you uh, Microsoft and even our show. If you uh, give it the right values, it'll give you the uh, uh, the logo for the MS Dev Show. And I just thought this was really cool because I know in the past I've been requested to like uh, make a a nice little infograph of all of our partners for a company that I was working for. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a common thing, but it was a pain to go out and get all those images. Yeah. And now here's just a nice, simple API that, you know, it'll at least get you somewhere close, even if it's not the exact version that you're looking for, if they do have multiples. Um, But I just thought this was really cool. And, uh, you know, like like I said, I found a reason to use it. So I'm sure somebody else could use it, too. And it's a even states that uh, this is a going forward, a free API. 
Okay, I was just looking at how this thing works. It says they're using ClearBits company API, pulling images from lots of different sources, such as Twitter, Facebook, Wikipedia, or the company's own sites, meta links. You resize and standardize the images, serving them up from a CDN. Oh, very cool. Uh, inside Azure Search, Chaos Engineering. Um, so this is this is about the Chaos Monkey. I love this stuff. D- did you want me to talk about this, Carl? Yeah. So for anybody who's not familiar with uh, the Chaos Monkey or that whole concept in general, I think it was Netflix that pioneered it. Maybe, maybe they didn't pioneer it, but I know that they were the first ones to really talk about it. So whenever you're building distributed systems, you you need to make sure that uh, you can handle failures. And in most developers, what they end up doing is, uh, you know, sort of planning for failure, but not really necessarily testing it or you're testing it in in, in um, staging or whatever. But the reality is in a good distributed system, you should actually be able to test it in production. You should be able to randomly kill servers. So that's that's how, um, you know, companies like Netflix do it. They will they will go out there. They have a, a program that will randomly kill nodes or mess with nodes, you know, change latency, you know, could, could do just about any kind of damage. And the system needs to stay running like those. Those shouldn't affect it. So the, the idea in general is um, taking what you're afraid of and making it the norm. And I did this whenever I was managing an IT group, you know, the, the IT group was they were they were super afraid of uh, power failure. They said, oh, no, no, we're good. We're good. We have all these scripts on there. Everything should safely shut down. Uh, the UPS should should handle the power loss. And I said, okay, well, let's try. And they're like, oh, no, no, don't. Let's not try it. They were so afraid of it. So then I, I actually said, okay, we're going to make this a drill and we're actually going to we're going to do this so that we're not afraid of it anymore. So you wanted to be the chaos monkey. Yep, I was the chaos, <laughs> the human chaos monkey. It's Jason again. He keeps going in the back and turning off the, the UPS. Yep, yep. You know, as somebody who's worked with Jason, I can verify that. <laughs> if there's anybody that can break an application, it is Jason. Yeah, I found a, I found a lot of bugs at Microsoft before they made it to production too. I, I, I tend to only develop things that uh, that utilize bugs. So, absolutely. <laughs> So this blog post, we'll have a link to it in the show notes, but this is talking about how they're using it with the um, uh, Azure search service, which is uh, which is pretty cool. So the Azure search service lets you, um, it's, basic, it's based on Elasticsearch, but it's a, a distributed search system where you can uh, index whatever you want, and then you can do real-time searching. Uh, so you can build this, if you, need, if you need to be able to search your website as an example, uh, you can use this to integrate search in easily. Um, but this is just kind of a cool uh, article, just talking about the the details about how they do that. Okay, and our last story, uh, Carl just wants to you know kill this thing to death. Uh, we're talking about WebAssembly for the third episode in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm just going to keep this one a little bit shorter. But you know, the the first time that we covered this, you know, we didn't quite have all all of the information. You know, it, it seemed important, so we covered it. But uh, there was a uh, an interview with Brandon Nike, one of the you know, leading minds behind creating WebAssembly, and uh, he did an interview on why it's needed. Okay. So, if you're interested in finding that out, um, we'll have a link in the show notes. Just you know, the video's there, uh, so you can check it out. Okay, cool. Let's get to Arun. So, Arun, we've been uh, we've been anxious to talk to you. We got some uh, good questions lined up here. Um, so, I know that you you know we've we've mentioned uh, your work before. Um, some of the um, app to app. Uh, the web of app stuff that was it was announced at uh, at Build. So you're on the app to app communications team. Can you give us an overview of what uh, what your team covers or what the app to app communication covers? Uh, sure, uh, we are still looking for a better name for the team <laughs> 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 because nobody understands what app to app means. But it's what 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 my team cares about most is uh, app integration scenarios. 
uh, there's always more than one app on any device uh, and we care about having apps talk to each other mm-hmm. and there's there's all sorts of ways to do it on on windows uh, there's the share contract which has been around for a while uh, there's uh, launching of apps and we've uh, introduced a couple more uh, this year uh, and and that's what we care about to make communication between apps as efficient as communication between websites is for example all right so you mentioned launching apps uh, and when i think about that you know i think deep launching that's you know a nice feature that's been on the phone for a while um what what has your team done to make it better in the upcoming release right so uh we wanted to really uh well, it's been possible to launch apps from other apps on Windows uh, for a while now uh, uh, using uh, what's called URI activation. And, and uh, what, what apps can do is register for a custom scheme and other apps can then launch them with that custom scheme. So where, whereas, wherein an app might sign up for a, a custom scheme called Foo, another app can come along and say, launch Foo colon, and, and that launches the app that signed up for Foo. Uh, one of the problems we saw in the past was that uh, if more than one app signed up for Foo and you said launch Foo colon, uh, you know, the user would end up choosing where they go and they might not always end up in the place you intended for them. And so what we did was in addition to being able to specify launch Foo, you can now see say launch Foo with this app. So we, we basically extended uh, the launcher uh, to be able to do that. That's that's one of the key things we went and did. Uh and one of the other things we did was uh, add the ability to, you know, enumerate everybody who handles Foo on a device and query whether or not Foo is supported on a device uh, and, and also being able to launch Foo for results, which is a kind of a new idea, at least for Windows, uh, wherein you say, I want to launch Foo and uh, whoever comes up to handle Foo should do something and then bring me back results. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about Infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, They have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp. Charting, gauges, barcodes, it's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, what, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to, to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. All right, so you you mentioned quite a few things there. So, you know, I I just want to break this apart into an example. So you you mentioned that, like, you know, we might want to talk with, uh, we might want to share something via Twitter, Mm -hmm. right? 
And I, you know, I could have the official Twitter app and I could have, you know, one of the great third party apps on. So what you're saying is I could specify that I want just the official Twitter app to launch with this. That's exactly so, right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so how would I go about doing that? Do I need to know like that programs, you know, like uh, published GUID or is, you know, walk us through how maybe I might want to, you know, how I'd be able to do that. Oh, sure. Um, so every uh, app in the Windows Store has uh, what's called a package family name, uh, which is really a nice uh, public identifier for uh, your app package. And in addition to specifying foo, uh, you know, the custom scheme that the package handles, you also specify the package family name to identify exactly which app you want to launch. And uh, this package family name is easy to find. Uh, if, if someone's ever submitted an app to the store, uh, the new sto- the new dev center actually shows the package family name. It's it's up on my blog. I, I blogged about it recently. Okay. What what I want to understand because I know I know we've talked about this. Like I said, mentioned we talked about it on the show before. But if I have, I guess my first question is if I have um two different if I have two apps myself and I want one to talk to the other one. Like what do, what does that actually look like? Uh, yeah that 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 is much much easier now. Uh, you have you have a bunch of options. It depends on what you mean by apps talking to each other. Uh, do you, if you want to launch uh, one of your apps from another app, you you can just use the launch URI API. Uh, right, it's called right. Launch URI I, async. Sorry. Right. No, I, what I was gonna say, like um, the the scenario that that seems, I guess, more interesting to me is if I have an application. I'm trying to think of a, a good example. Um, let's say, let's say I have a, a package tracking application, and what it does is it will. Um, you know, the, the user would go in there and they'd put in a tracking number for like a UPS package and it would, it would give them back the, the tracking results. And then as the creator of that application, maybe I make a second application and it wants to sort of piggyback on that, on that tracking ability. Um, you know, can I call from one to the other one? I know when we talked about on the show last time, we sort of made it sound like, uh, how websites work. Oh yeah. We're, you know, like, you know, you talk about the sort of the API world of things, but I I have website a, and I want to go get some data from website B and it sounds like you can do that now with apps, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a new API as well, uh, that we're calling app services. And the idea there is, uh, that, you know, one app wants some data from another app or, or, or wants the other app to do something on its behalf. And so, Basically, the app that's providing that service or that data can expose what we call an app service, which is very, very anal- analogous to web services. It's almost as if one of the apps is exposing a REST endpoint to the other. Now, it's not an actual REST endpoint because there's no web server involved here, but uh, that's that's what apps can do. So the, the client app, in a sense, can open an app service connection to the provider app and just communicate with it. And, uh, and the thing that's really nice is... Uh, even though we, we support request response, just like web services do, uh, what you actually get in there is a two-way connection. Uh, and, and the advantage with that is, you know, you're sitting there connected to the service. If something happens, some event happens, the service can actually reach out and poke the client and say, hey, here's some data for you, which okay. web services can't normally do. So Okay. And then does that work if, if I'm not the publisher of both applications? Can I still use that? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Okay. All, all you need to know is uh, the name of the app service and and the package family name. So, okay, so so like you mentioned earlier, you could sort of probe what's there. Can I can I can I discover? So I discover all these these applications that that are that are there. If I want to talk to a specific one, then I can sort of discover that it's there and that I can talk to it. 
Uh, sure. If you know the okay. app service name, you can enumerate all providers for it. In fact, okay. uh, you know, the, the people app on, on the phone, mm-hmm. uh, it's able to display uh, feeds from Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. Uh, and that's okay. how they do discovery. That's how they figure out uh, whether Facebook or Twitter is available and is able to provide those feeds. They just say, does anybody here support, you know, the feed provider app service? I forget what it's called exactly. Yeah. So be like a people, I support the people feed. Yeah, I, that's right. I support okay. the people feed. Okay, cool, cool. So <clears throat> can I do something like uh, like a signal R kind of thing where I could like open a sock and have a persistent back back and forth communication between two apps? Uh, yes. Uh, the, the way app services work is, uh, you know, in our minds, we like to think of an app service as being sponsored by whoever's calling it because now, I mean, this isn't exactly like the web wherein, you know, the resources, the processing power and the CPU and the memory to right. run the service is coming from another thing in the cloud. This is running on the device. So when the client opens an app service connection, uh, we say as long as the client is around and is using the web app service, the app service is going to be around. And so for that, uh, uh, you know, while the client is up, we keep both ends running. So, yes, you could do SignalR over, over it. You could do SignalR like things. Yes. Okay. Very good. That that was kind of my question too. And then you mentioned it sponsors it. So the so the the caller or the client is sort of responsible for like the CPU time and all that, right? That is correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, so the app service is effectively sharing CPU time and also memory with the with the call. Okay. Very cool. And then um, I know whenever we had talked about it before, I think one of the potential scenarios we talked about was like Dropbox. You know, Dropbox could be caching some files offline. And then you could potentially in your app, you know, maybe go request one of those files. Maybe it's a configuration file or says a document you want to open. Um, so I, I guess what what were kind of the key scenarios that you had in mind whenever you were designing this? Well, yeah, that was that was an interesting one. Basically, uh, I mean, most apps today are kind of front ends to a cloud service in, in mm-hmm. some way, shape or form. But there's also a lot of local intelligence in apps, right? Uh you know, they they usually bring data down from from the cloud, but also gather data from local sensors, your GPS, uh, to tell your location, maybe maybe your uh, contacts, and do interesting things with them. And this data that's sitting on the device isn't really available to other apps, even partner apps that are from the same publisher, let alone you know apps from other people. And those were the key scenarios, right? One one scenario is the people one that I just talked about. Uh, the people app were looking for a solution to solve this problem. Right. And, and what's kind of interesting is that a lot of the apps that come uh, as part of, especially the phone, uh, were in, in at least up, up until Windows Phone 8.1, were built using technology uh, that wasn't, you know, the public SDK. They were, they were built using internal tools, uh, which means they were able to do a lot of things that uh, apps outside of Microsoft could not do. And right. uh, one of the key decisions that uh, the leadership within Windows made was, no, you know, we want everybody, including internal apps, to be using the same SDKs we give app developers. Woo-hoo. And uh, that meant <laughs> that they were doing a lot of these special things. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing air quotes. In the I, air. I, 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 I can see, even though I, I, <laughs> even though you don't have video, I can see the air quotes. <laughs> and, 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 and they were like, oh, what do we do now? We used to be, you know, able to do this and we can't. We were like, you know, let's build something that everybody can use. And that was yeah. one of the key motivations. And yeah. 
there's a lot of interesting scenarios that have come out of this. Like uh, the band team, for example, their SDK, uh, they're looking at using app services because they can do interesting things. While, you know, when, when you use the band SDK as it is now, you're just getting data from the band at that moment in time. You might be getting historical data, but the band can't store a lot of data. Uh, right. And so maybe you'll get the data for the last one day. What if you wanted data from the last one month? Now you've got to go up to their web service, whereas that data is actually sitting right there in the band client. Well, and the, and the data on, in, in the cloud is probably actually older than what's sitting That's in the app right. too. That's right. So, so you have you have really old data and you have like super new data, exactly. but you don't have the data from, exactly. from 20 minutes ago. Yeah. So, so there's, there's real value in being able to yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. what the user sees when they go into the band app. This lets you do. Yeah. And, and one thing that I should have asked earlier, now this applies, I guess, starting with Windows 10. I mean, this is going to be uh, Windows and Windows Phone. I mean, they're really the same thing, right? In, in, in Especially in this context. Yes. Uh, it, it's going to be available on Windows and Windows Phone. Okay. Eventually Xbox, HoloLens. Right, right. Phone. I just wanted to make it clear it wasn't just like a Windows Phone only feature. No, no, no. It's, it's available everywhere. It's a universal API. Okay. And then um, sort of a, the opposite question of what I asked earlier, um, are, are there any reasons why you'd want to not use this feature? Uh, sure. I mean, there's scenarios where, uh, you know, apps from the same publisher just want to share a bunch of state, just want to share a bunch of data. Maybe you've got, you know, configuration files or settings sitting in a common location uh, for all your apps, and they're all from the same publisher. Uh, we've got another feature called Publisher Shared Folders, which which I didn't really talk about in my talk, but uh, it was discussed in another talk. And what you can do is just create a shared folder between apps uh, that are published by the same publisher. So if that's all you're looking to do, uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's better ways to do it. And uh, app services are definitely not a replacement for web services. <laughs> uh, apps should still talk to websites, but uh, they're a nice way to get to you know, that data, that combination of data that's sitting on the device. Uh, yeah, the feature you're just talking about, is this is this the shared storage access manager? Uh, no, it's it's publisher shared folder. It's, yeah, it's probably not, not on the list I sent you. Okay, uh, no, I, I should have put it on there, but yeah, it's literally, it's called publisher shared folders. Okay. Uh, and then just, you know, Google for it or Bing for it and you'll find it. Okay, so what is the shared storage access manager? Uh, the shared storage access manager is actually... Again, it's it's actually one of those features that we've had available internally for a while, and uh, we've given it a public API now. The idea is, uh, you know, in 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 back in the Win32 days, uh, you could pass around file paths uh, between apps, and and ev- because every app could access everything, uh, that worked great. Because if if I wanted to give you a reference to a file, I just hand you the path. Now. Uh, WinRT uh, imposes uh, app isolation, as as do all you know new API sets. And uh, and so, how do I pass pass around a file I have without actually giving you a copy of the file or putting it in the cloud and having you download it? Both of mm-hmm. which are complicated and time consuming. So what we did was you can take a file uh, and and give it to Shared Storage Access Manager and uh, call the Add File API, and it'll give you a GUI token back. And then you can hand that token to anybody. And it doesn't have to be over launch URI or app services. You can get that token to the other side any way you want. And the other side can call the redeem API and get a storage file out of it. So it's it's just a lightweight way of sending files between apps. Okay, cool. 
So another thing that you had mentioned to us that you guys work on was the clipboard APIs. And I, I know this was kind of a sore spot for, sore spot for some people not having that in, in when our team was, was one of them. You Carl, <laughs> I, 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 it was a sore spot, but I wasn't very public as some people were. Um, yeah. I, I, you'd be surprised how many apps uh, didn't go to, uh, you know, WinRT because uh, the clipboard just wasn't there. And it was, it's a sore spot for me too. It was, it was a super painful cut uh, last year when we shipped uh, all the WinRT APIs uh, on the phone. Uh, the clipboard got left out. I, I don't know why it's always the clipboard, but <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of. I had flashbacks of phone. It's like seven. the interns <laughs> always get the clipboard code, and and everybody forgets about it. Well, you, you know, you know, you say that, <laughs> but the, the program manager on the clipboard uh, was was an intern uh, who was working under me. He, I was mentoring him, but I'll say this. He did his job with the spec. He did a great job. That's the spec we ended up using when we eventually implemented a clipboard for the oh, phone. Okay. Uh, it's just, you know, we ran out of time last year, but not this time. Hmm. It's in Windows 10. Perfect. So it was so awesome that it just couldn't work in any other version of Windows. That's what I'm, that's my takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, clipboard's interesting because it has a long, long history on Windows. The The Windows desktop clipboard can do things you know, you couldn't even imagine. I couldn't imagine. <laughs> nice, nice. So so is this uh, like as full featured as the full desktop one that we're used to? Or is this, you know, a, a little bit more limited than, uh, I mean, can... It's, it's way more full featured than, uh, than the clipboard in the Silverlight apps used to be because all you could do there was text. Uh, but uh, with the clipboard that we've shipped with Windows 10, you can pretty much do whatever you can do with the desktop. There's limitations Excellent. only in the sense that, you know, it's a constrained device. Well, most phones are constrained devices. So there's some memory gaps on how much stuff you can put in the clipboard, but that's about it. Okay. Uh, let's talk the sharing contract. So the charms are gone. How does the sharing contract work? Yeah, it's funny because uh, I keep <laughs> hearing people saying, oh, sharing on Windows is deprecated. Like, <laughs> no, no, it's not, everybody. I still want to share stuff to Facebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, and I mean, other platforms do it, right? So yeah, yeah. You go in there and, and you're looking at something and you say, I want to I want to share this. Yeah. And, and all, all, all that happened in Windows 10, and this is really the only big change in sharing, is that the charms uh, have gone away. There's, there's no charms on desktop anymore. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's always been an API uh, called uh, Show Share UI. It's under Windows Application Model Data Transfer Manager. Uh, and uh, what you can do is you call that API and the share charm, the share picker window comes up. So, okay. you know, what we're expecting now is we're expecting apps to put the share button in the app surface. That okay. was always the case on Windows Phone, by the way, because Windows Phone never had charms. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that's that's the only big change, really. Everything else is there. It's supported. It works. We still like it. <laughs> okay, simple enough. So in addition, I mean... Not just talk about WinRT, but you, um, the all of the contracts, as far as my understanding, have been brought to Win32 um, .NET applications as well. Can you tell us what that's like? Uh, not not quite all of them. We didn't get to all of them. Oh. Uh, we tried to. I, I tried real hard, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, the 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 you know the most important ones because one of the things that really really pissed me off 
really uh, with the uh, when i was using uh, windows 8 before was that win32 apps you know wpf apps winforms apps apps that were not written with winrt uh, could not share content and that didn't seem right uh, to me because really it's sharing content they have content as as do winrt apps so yeah. that's one of the apis we enabled uh, so now uh, if you've got a wpf app if you've got a winforms app uh, you can use the share contract i've got a blog post up uh, detailing the steps it's actually quite easy all you do is literally pull in uh, the 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 windows 8 uh, contract stuff into your app because and I, a lot of people don't know this but uh, wpf and winforms apps can actually call a lot of winrt apis mm-hmm. uh, and people people don't know this but share is now one of those apis uh in addition uh winrt uh win32 apis can also use the launcher to launch things yeah it really helps narrow the the gap then between a win32 app and and a modern app that's right or uwp app yep i mean with project c uh win32 apps are going to be in the store so really mm-hmm. from a from a user's perspective there's no difference it's just right. you know stuff that we know that makes them different in our minds yeah yeah even back in like the windows 8.1 days or i even probably before that I was I was telling people that um you know the the partners that I work with have these giant monolithic applications that take 5 to 10 maybe even longer to to rewrite. Oh yeah. And I was saying yeah. and I was saying listen they don't they don't care about battery, they don't care about viruses because these things are isolated or whatever. It's like they just want to run their applications. Yeah, and, and yeah, go ahead. I've spent I spent uh, time as an ent- enterprise consultant I was one for four years and I h- yeah. know how these things get get built yeah. you know you have a bunch of contractors or consultants in they'll build you this app uh, you'll go through like a six to eight month effort you'll roll it out and then they'll leave right you have the source code yeah <laughs> but now you don't have anybody who understands it now you could get new people and have them ramp up on it and usually uh, most companies will keep somebody in house who has some idea of what's going on in the app but it's not easy always easy for them to go and rewrite the app that's not usually an option right right exactly uh let's see then file picker apis so what what changes have been made there for windows 10 uh not too many uh but uh, one key pain point that we went and fixed uh, was on the phone last year when we released the file picker apis we released these and continue apis uh which were kind of hard to understand for developers i know i got confused myself a couple of times uh because uh, you you try and go pick a file and uh, sometimes uh, we terminate your app and we, we thought that we were doing a good thing but it just <laughs> oh, made uh, <laughs> well, because we were like hey uh, you know now the app that comes up you know the the one drive or uh, dropbox yeah. or whatever that you're picking the file from gets all of the memory on the device uh, which is awesome <laughs> right except no not so awesome the guy for for the for the for the developer who's trying to pick the file right right cuz they they go poof they go away so there was a way to mitigate that but it was hard to understand it was hard to test and yeah. uh, we went and fixed that and and their async api is now so your app won't go away when you're trying to pick a file uh, i got gotcha. you and and you know this it was a real hallelujah moment for uh, some some of the app developers out there who'd actually tried using these apis and i get it <laughs> yeah 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 this stuff i mean it just keeps getting better over time it sounds yeah. like it sounds like this is it, it's it's really starting to get to where it needs to be yeah, for for hardcore development that's right and, and what's also happened over the last year is that that you know we haven't shipped that many uh, 512 megabyte devices cuz those were the real problems this was a memory problem right yeah 
and 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 we've done some work there that makes it that lets us fix the API. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. <laughs> so one other thing I I wanted to ask around file access is you know what kind of access is there now uh, to get outside of that WinRT app sandbox? Is there a way to get to any particular path like I could in a classic app, or are we just kind of limited to those those special uh, like shared folders? Well, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting because uh, file open pickers specifically uh, will let you get to any file you want to. Uh, and, and the philosophy has always been uh, that, you know, an app always has access to the files, its own, its own storage, obviously. Uh, but mm-hmm. anytime it wants to get out to stuff that some other app might own or that the user owns separately, your pictures library, documents library, they have to ask for a capability. And now if the app wants to get even farther outside that, you know, maybe I just want access to some file that's sitting somewhere uh, that that's not one of these places. Uh, the file open picker is still the best way to go because once you bring the user in and they select a file, it doesn't matter what location it's in, the app will get access to it. Right, because the user so, is the one consenting. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, there's there's implicit user consent there. So we're like, yeah, okay, the user chose to give you this file. You have this file. Mm-hmm. And and there's a there's a folder picker like uh, API as well. Same rules apply, right? No matter what folder the user gave, you've got access. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good compromise there. You know, just by putting that UI in there, it forces them to you know give permission by saying that's yes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, part of the part of the problem with traditional Windows had been that every app could get everywhere. Uh, there was there's really no isolation between right. apps and the operating system. And, and you know, we've got to stand by that. No, this is this is a perfect compromise in my opinion. Uh, anything else that we uh, that we might have missed that you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I, I I'm just gonna plug my Twitter profile and say if you have <laughs> questions about anything I said, uh, reach out to at Arun Talks Tech. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to the stuff people do with these APIs. Yeah, no, this sounds this sounds great. Okay, uh, Carl, what do you have for the app of the week? So I found this app yesterday. It's called Instanote. It's a Windows phone app uh, by the, uh, Microsoft. Okay. And uh, it's kind of a cool note-taking app. It integrates with your calendar. So, uh, for instance, for this podcast, it knew that it was coming up. So it actually uh, uh, gave a notification that when I tapped on it, it opened up <clears throat> into uh, the meeting. It, know, it knew that uh, you, Jason, and Arun were part of it. And I could start taking notes. It had, you know, everything that was in there. Um, it can save off into OneNote. Uh, th- there's a button on there that'll, uh, when you tap it, it'll actually save what the previous 30 seconds worth of audio recording were. So it's just kind of a, a really cool, you know, take on, uh, you know, capturing that information around you if you're in a meeting or something and getting it into a note format and into OneNote. Cool. And it'll even do things like uh, translate that audio into text. Yeah, because I know OneNote does some of this, so I wonder. It looks like this is just a, a real simple way to interface with that, and I wonder if OneNote is going to incorporate some of these features based on this. It's a really nice companion app to that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened because this looks like a garage app. Yep. And and you know, product teams have taken garage features pre- previously and made them part of the product. Exactly. Exactly. I'm just busy downloading, so <laughs> <laughs> you're getting. Pretty, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it out for sure. Have either of you guys tried uh, Wonderlist? Because that's that's the other one. Oh yeah, because we just uh, Microsoft just bought them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I haven't tried it because I use for all for all my lists. I use Trello. Oh okay, yeah, Trello's good. 
Is- yeah. So I've been I've been leery to try anything that doesn't kind of use that as the back end. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I don't have like a, a tip. Well, I sort of have a tip of the week, I guess, uh, which is um, if this, then that just added um, Twitter or Trello integration. So what I do is I set it up so that on like a weekly basis, there's things that I have to, to sort of review on a weekly basis. And I use Trello as my getting things done board. And, and I, I know we've talked about this before on the show. There's like, a, if you search for getting things done in 15 minutes, you'll get the fifth. It's a 15 minute overview of getting things done. It probably, you probably could look it over in less time than that. So I use that as my uh, list of things to do. And with, with, uh, if this, then that now, (laughs) now you can schedule things to go on there. So every week, like I said, a new card goes onto my Trello board and then it automatically gets into there. So things like, um, backups, you know, so I do weekly backups of my computer. So I actually have uh, a backup card. I think it's Monday at a certain time of day. It automatically pops in a card that says, you know, Hey, do your weekly backup. So that's sort of my, uh, my tip of the week on, on tasks. Okay, uh, so you've heard the show, so you're aware of this game that we play. So, Arun, I need you to pick a number between one and four. Uh, number one. Number one, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> as a girl, would you rather have really a really hairy back or really long, curly, exposed hair not, or nose hairs? <laughs> oh, man. Uh... I like how it starts as a girl. <laughs> Really hairy back, because at least I can cover it up then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. I, I, uh, interesting. Okay, Carl, what's your pick? I'll take number three. Number three. Um, actually, I think you might have had this one before. Would you rather wear a motorcycle helmet to bed every night or always sleep with shoes and jeans on? I, I do the helmet. So you're going to wear a motorcycle helmet? It's kind of like a built-in pillow. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, or always sleep with shoes and jeans on. Well, you'd be very safe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so just yeah. Okay, I guess we're not going to get into what Carl wears at night. So uh, <laughs> let's just move on. <laughs> so Arun, uh, you mentioned your Twitter handle. Anywhere else that uh, people should go to find your stuff? Uh, I have a blog uh, at aruntalkstech.com. Uh, so I like that. That's Twitter cool. Handle and uh, I um, there's my GitHub profile, but there's links to my GitHub stuff from my blog. Okay, and we'll have that all in the show notes. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at YTechie.com or on Twitter at Twitter.com slash YTechie. Arun, thank you so much for uh, listening to the show, but then also coming on and uh, schooling us on some of these APIs. It was uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. It was a pleasure for me too. Thank you. Uh, and I'm looking for those stickers. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I will be bringing you stickers next time in Redmond. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 